Welcome back to Lose Real, folks. Um, I am sitting here having made Tyler sit around and wait for my ass for like an hour after we've been planning for days to meet at a very specific time today. And I would like to thank Park Place Motor Cars of Dallas for this experience because when they called me to tell me that the car was ready, I went over there assuming that the car was ready. And uh, it, uh, it was doing exactly the same thing it was doing when I brought it to them the first time, which was not air conditioning, which, you know. Kind of important in Texas at all times. One of, one of those things. So, uh, I, you know, and, and I have had so much free time on my hands recently that a, you know, an out and back to uh, West Lemon yeah. uh, to to get jacked around by a park place is really high on my list of things to do. Things that you would enjoy. It was one of my uh, favorite uh, re recent memories of my dad. Uh, there's a in our town. There's a big uh, parade when the 4-H fair is happening, and uh, my dad had taken his truck in for service, and the folks that were working on it had a thing in the parade, and. The day before, they had given my dad a new sweatshirt um, when he went to go check on his truck, but they didn't have the truck ready. And so the floats in, and the owner of the guy hollers at my dad and goes, hey, did you like that sweatshirt we gave you? And my dad said, I'd like it a lot better if you fixed my truck. <laughs> the three t-shirt would do me a whole lot of good. I'd really rather you just fix the truck. Well, um... Melissa really wanted this little car, and unfortunately, Park Place is the only service center within 30 miles, so we're a little bit stuck. Um, I don't know. I uh, It's warranty work. Maybe my independent guy will do it and build Mercedes, see, see, if, see if such a thing is possible. Yeah, the Germans have money. They, they'd be able to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, <clears throat> do you want to update on the ticket yeah um we were supposed to have the second setting of the preliminary injunction hearing on tuesday and we were very well prepped for that and lo and behold late on monday i got a communication from the mediator saying hey i'm going to send you all a uh, proposal a mediator's proposal is kind of a known entity there are a couple different ways to do it, but in general, the mediator sends the same proposal to both sides with the following rules. You've got X number of hours to agree to this. Um, any attempt to modify the terms will be treated as a no, as a, as a hard no on the whole thing. So nobody can make any changes. You got a limited amount of time to do it. And if, both parties don't say yes, n neither party ever knows what the other one said. Okay. Um, now, there aren't a lot of possibilities. You don't have to be really good at game theory to figure that Let's out. figure that out, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, um, the, the proposal was involved putting off the hearing and letting my guys go back to podcasting. Um, there are other aspects to it that I can't get into yet, although I promise on future episodes <laughs> we're, we're going to have some discussion. I spent uh, a couple hours uh, on the phone to members of Congress this afternoon um, 
there will be a series of letters from members of Congress concerning this case. Wow, yeah, that's great. That's, uh, yeah, good news. Well, and the whole thing, I know, the it, I was talking to, to a friend about this this week, about sort of the nature of non-compete clauses in general. And, uh, you know, I don't know, I, I wonder if in, in some way that's even beyond the Dan and Jake piece, but just, I understand the utility in some circumstances, right? If you're dealing with super secret business things, but, um, you know, if a, your employer is not paying you or the people that work for you what you feel like they are worth, you know, why is it even legal for companies to have workers agree to non-compete clauses over like creative endeavors? Well, it won't be much longer. <laughs> um, <clears throat> it, this is a local politics show, but you all, you listeners know that Tyler and I spend a lot of time talking state and national politics. And anybody who follows us on Twitter knows that neither of us is the biggest fan of Joe Biden. But credit where it's due, the dude seems to know about and care about competition in the United States. And he has appointed some of the most effective, um, hard-charging people to the FTC and to the National Labor Relations Board and its general counsel's office, which is the, they're the ones who bring the cases. And the new GC of the NLRB is named Jennifer Abruzzo, and she is not to be messed with, as far as I can tell. Um, And she has advised all of her regional directors, who are the people who report directly to her, that she wants to see cases like Dan and Jake's, um, that she considers non-competes against employees who do not have an ownership interest in the business to be facially Mm -hmm. illegal under the National Labor Relations Act because they chill employees' ability to act concertedly to improve the conditions of their work. Mm Um, or, in this case, to seek better conditions of work in for another employer. Yeah. And, you know, in Texas, Texas over the last 10 years has liberalized the use of non-competes. It made, made it easier for employers to enforce them, which is really starting to create a fracture in the state Republican Party because there is a strong strain of libertarianism, yeah. Especially among the judiciary on the Republican side, and Don Willett, who was on the Supreme Court and is now on the Fifth Circuit, wrote an amazing uh, concurrence on a non-compete case, where he sets out exactly what his view of this is, and his view is narrow. Yeah, he 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 wants there to only be a non-compete when you have what you're talking about, yeah. something that is such a critical business interest that you just have to have one. The thing that we always used to use in Texas as the critical business interest was trade secrets or confidential information. And the employer would agree to give that stuff to the employee and the employee would agree not to compete with the employer for a period of time after they left employment for the purpose of protecting that information. Well, here's the thing you probably will not be surprised about when we're talking about radio hosts. If a radio station had such a thing as confidential information, which it certainly does not, Mm -hmm. 
The, the people they would never, ever give it to are the people who run their mouths on the air all day. <laughs> like they literally they, are paid just, to talk. It's just the dumbest <laughs> thing. And their lawyer tried to tell me that, you know, they that these guys were involved in the planning of remotes and the planning of ticket events and that those plans were confidential. I was like, Jub Jam. I'm or, like, don't, uh, you, don't you tell people? About, don't you, you invite coming? them to come? He's like, yeah, no, but before we invite them, they're confidential. I was like, that's a big insider secret that they're going to be like, Mr. Mr. Denning, I'm not having this conversation anymore. <laughs> that's an important business secret that they're going to be at Pluckers for a remote and they'll be handing out can koozies. Anyway, that lawyer's name is uh, Richard Denning and he is the GC of, uh, of Cumulus Media. And if you want to have an aneurysm, you can look up his annual salary because he's disclosed on the 10K. Ooh. Mm. Uh, let me say he's at least a million dollars overpaid. <laughs> I am, uh, well, I'm speechless. That's a uh, quite an interesting take on it. Well, and again, yeah, I, we don't need to get too deep, but the merits of the case, too, uh, just like, you know, I don't know, they're not going to another radio station. They aren't taking people away from listening to the ticket. By just having a podcast, right? People can listen. But they to are. They are. Whatever. You you, you yeah. have to you have to listen to their theory. They they got a guy who does political polling, who's developed a theory called the share of ear. Okay. So the share of ear is that there are only so many hours in a day that you're going to consume audio media. Okay. And so, uh, you know, in fact, Dan and Jake are just. Taking Absolutely, away. taking listeners straight away from them. Now, this is not a theory that any court is going to entertain for very long. I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I guess I should feel bad making fun of the ticket's legal team, but they've been such jerks that I kind of don't. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it, it's an absolutely stupid theory. Um, and I, I don't know. The, we Anyway, the, the reason we're in this situation where we have Dan and Jake broadcasting again and we're waiting another couple weeks before we do this hearing was ostensibly to give us time to try to settle the thing again. And maybe we will. We're going to do a, another mediation. But the re, I think part of the reason we saw it as potentially a decent agreement for us is we just we think the NLRB is going to take this thing over. Yeah. And hand us kind of a big win. Yeah, it would be interesting. Well, definitely something for listeners to to keep watch of. You know, we are standing in or uh, sitting in Texas, where we are now in our sixth or seventh day of uh, energy conservation calls from ERCOT. Um, you know, it speaks to how I mean, we were able to had well, we had to have two special sessions to give people a property tax cut. Uh, we were able to ban drag shows, but weren't able to take any concrete steps to fix our electrical grid in the state. Um, I know it's been frustrating to watch. Doug Lewin is a good follow on uh, Twitter for energy stuff. I don't for know. For sure, he, he's awesome. Yeah, some really interesting stuff, but you know, sort of one kind of talking about ERCOT seemingly always wanting to throw the blame on renewable energy sources, but being able to dig into the data and say, well, actually it's not, those are the things that are actually helping us keep the whole thing afloat currently. Right uh, when thermals are, are down and they have so many plants that are above normal being offline and uh, even at the it's time absolutely when, bananas. You know, the high today was what ninety seven. Like Texas should be able to 
withstand a 97 degree day. And the fact that we're worried that people will come home from work and make dinner and throw in a load of laundry, and so you have to turn your thermostat to 78 degrees or else we're gonna destroy the state's electrical grid, is a pretty sad state of affairs for our state to be in. Well, and the thing that is extremely clear is that the times, especially during heat events, the times when the grid has not failed despite record demand, it has done so entirely because of the new uh, development of renewables. Yeah. And, um, you know, I saw our friend Matthew Marchant on Twitter basically claiming the exact opposite. Yeah. And that's just fucking stupid. Yeah. Now, everyone should remember, he works for a refining company, so. You know, batteries have been another interesting thing to, to pay attention to, and it seems like they're wanting to remove batteries out of the energy mix, which is also one of the things that's been keeping us afloat during these especially tight margins in the evening hours. Um, so hopefully the lights don't go off when we're recording the podcast, because that will make the listeners sad. I went to see Barbie Sunday night at North Park. Awesome. It was a good movie, but the lights went out in the middle of the show. That's suboptimal. It was not great. And uh, what was also less great was sort of the like probably three minutes before it took AMC staff to come check in us where I was convinced that like there's an active shooter, you know, in the building that's <laughs> turned the, the lights out. But uh, I was joking that we should I, talk I to shouldn't it. laugh at that. That's no, actually it's not, not funny, but it's a funny. real thing, right? That's a real thing. That's a real thing to worry about. Um, but that, uh, I know we should talk to ERCOT Barbie to make sure that, but it was something else that was going on with the theater at the time. But Barbie was a good movie. People should go watch it. I think it's coming out on streaming services uh, in like a week or so, but good because that's what it always takes for me to actually watch, watch it. the movie. Yeah. It was National Cinema Day Sunday, so it's either got to be on an hours. airplane or on streaming. That's... Or I'm just never gonna <laughs> actually see it. You should, uh, yeah, tune in to to Barbie. Um, so that's yeah the Texas situation that we find ourselves in. We've got a lot of things to touch on today. Um, where do you want to start, Philip? Uh, where's my list? Yeah. People would be surprised. It's clear that Tyler prepares for this, but I do also sometimes prepare a little bit. Uh, you see the committee assignments? Yeah. Interesting committee assignments came out from uh, the mayor a couple of weeks ago. Um, and from sort of reporting that you have done, it seems like folks are unhappy with their assignments, both in who's chairing committees. Well, he's done something unprecedented. He's given... Tanel and Kara multiple committee chair Cheers. assignments for the important committees. I mean, and this is solely done to keep the chair positions with people. With the, when it comes to Kara, she's an actual ally. Tanel is not the mayor's ally, really, but he's a guy that I guess um, EJ thinks he can deal with. Because um, really, I, I'm I would be willing to bet. I haven't talked to Tanel. Uh, about this, I'm working with Tanel on a warehouse project, but uh, he, <clears throat> I, I doubt he really wants those extra committee assignments. <laughs> I think he probably, he just wants to stay as eco-dev chair, and uh, I, I bet that's kind of annoying to him, actually. But what you wind up with is all these other talented people, and we really don't have, um, I, I mean, they're... 
there are, there's one council member who maybe isn't like the person you want for a committee chair just because of organizational stuff or whatever. Um, but the rest of them all have a lot of promise. And, um, you know, I, this show is friends with Paula Blackman. We certainly don't always agree with her, but one thing I think nobody who knows Paula Blackman thinks is that she wouldn't be a good committee chair. Mm -hmm. And she was doing a good job on the Environment Committee, which he's changed the name of that to Trails and Parks. And Parks, Trails, and, bunnies, and the Environment. And Bunnies. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And uh, de-emphasizing environment. Um, and so that one's, you know, you, you just, it, for the rest, it, unlike these um, council offices that we make fun of, the pro tem and deputy mayor pro tem, committee chairs and committee assignments in general are actually important to the business of council. Um, committee chairs procedurally um, can put anything they want on those agendas and they can mostly keep anything they want off of agendas. So they're enormously powerful gatekeepers with regard to what winds up on the city council agenda. Um, and the other, it, the, the other thing that, that happens there is there's a, such a thing as a three signature memo. So if any three members of a committee are upset with the chair or can't get what they want, then they can force stuff onto the committee. So the committee assignments are not, and never have been, a mayor looking at the talent he or she has on, on council and trying to assign it to the committee where it will do the most good. It is always trying to keep groups of opponents yeah. from teaming up on a committee. On a committee. And against his agenda. He, yeah. he, with EJ, he has so few allies and so many sort of embittered enemies yeah. that he can't do it. He can't fill out the committees. You see him try, he's reduced committee size to like five mm -hmm. in some instances just to try to maintain control, um, but he can't do it. I've, I can see that on transportation, he's got a serious problem. Um, Omar can do whatever he wants there. Um, and I saw one of the other ones, um, uh, Baz's one, Quality of Life, mm -hmm. I forget what we call that. Um, Life, Arts, and Culture. Yeah, he, there, EJ's got a problem. If, if Baz gets an idea or if three people who are not mayor people get an idea on that deal, he could, he could wind up with an agenda item he doesn't want. Maybe helpful for uh, listeners that haven't looked at this just to go quickly through the, the yeah. chairs. So economic development is Janelle uh, Atkins uh, chairs that. Government performance and financial management, uh, Chad West is chairing. Uh, housing and homelessness solutions, uh, Jesse Moreno will chair. Park trails and the environment, Kathy Stewart, new council member in District 10 will chair. Um, public safety, uh, Kara Mendelson will move into the chair role on that. Um, Vaz is chairing quality of life, arts and culture. Omar will chair transportation and infrastructure. Uh, Janie Schultz uh, is chairing workforce education and equity. Um, there are a couple of ad hoc committees. Uh, the ad hoc committee on administrative affairs uh, is being chaired by Tanel. Um, Kara uh, will chair the ad hoc committee on general investigating and ethics. The mayor appointed himself to that committee, um, which we should talk about, uh, put that in the parking lot. Um, ad hoc committee on judicial nominations, Paul Ridley, 
Um, Kara is also chairing the Ad Hoc Committee on Legislative Affairs. There's been a new committee created for on pensions that Tanel is chairing, um, and a new council person, Zaron Gracie, is chairing the Ad Hoc Committee on Professional Sports Recruitment and Retention. Those are the committee the, chairs. The PSRCC. The, P, the PSR, yeah, very important job committee that they they have. Now, I will also note from these um, memos that get sent out, uh, something that at least was not there in 2021's memo when the mayor announced council appointments, and Philip would have to give us a historical knowledge of that. The mayor also included policy priorities for each of the councils on his memo where he announced appointments. Is this a new practice? It's not only a new practice, in general, it's a new practice for him. Yes. He didn't do it before. And it's very reminiscent of Greg Abbott trying to limit the scope of his special session calls, um, which is 100% unconstitutional. 100% unconstitutional. And um, Eric's statements to the committees um, are less problematic in terms of the city's charter um, but they're going to be ignored. They're like, they're just going to be ignored. Maybe not by Kara, but by everybody else. Yeah. His policy priorities are going to be ignored. Well, when we say this, just to give folks an example, so like the economic development policy priority is written to say that their priority is to partner with the mayor's working group on downtown revitalization to provide oversight over the redevelopment of the Cape Bailey Hutchison Convention Center. Surely, so, God, there's more other economic development issues impacting the city of Dallas than the convention center. Maybe not to the people that donated money to the mayor. Is there anything more important? But I well, <laughs> it all depends on how you look at yeah. it. You know, if your view of economic development is um, Eric Johnson uh, going to the groundbreaking or the ribbon cutting at the Uber thing at the the epic um, development in Deep Ellum, mm -hmm. and then you know, less than nine months later, having that whole deal fall apart. If that if that's your view of how to do economic <laughs> development. Then sure, yeah, <laughs> KBH is great. Yeah, if I can gonna spend four billion dollars to ensure that we can continue to lose a hundred million a year in uh, hotel occupancy tax um, to have all the while making it more expensive for people to come here to visit you and stay in the hotels. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I don't know if if your if your view of economic development is that economic impact of activities like conventions is really important then yeah that enjoy your magical thinking and and have have a great time the uh, other you we mentioned you mentioned this briefly that changing of the environment committee to parks trails and the environment falling in line with sort of the mayor's <clears throat> uh, emphasis on parks um, did you know that we had someone that he's calling the greening czar who is this uh, I have don't know who this person is but their priority is to um, make sure that we become the major city with the best park system in Texas by supporting the efforts of the mayor's greening czar. Is it Arun? Is it the park board president? Let's see. Dallas mayor greening czar. We'll see what tw uh, the internet tells us. EJ's actually made some good appointments. Nope. Nope. Garrett Boone. Nah, Garrett, that, I mean... Listen, Garrett Boone is going to do whatever Garrett Boone wants to do. Garrett Boone founded the Container Store, um, and he's very concerned about the environment. Um, but yeah, make him the czar, don't make him the czar, doesn't matter. He's, he's going to engage in environmental advocacy 
using his enormous wealth and the fact that everybody love, loves him. Yeah. Um, so that's not a, that. It, it, maybe it's maybe it's a stupid title. I don't know. But it, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with Garrett Boone taking care of our environmental the greening, issues. The greenings are. The other one that I mentioned that I wanted to bring up, so the mayor appointed himself to this committee on general investigating and ethics. Yeah, I bet you can guess what that's about. Uh, the What his wanting to overhaul the ethics code? No, they already did that. Oh, they already did that. Okay. What is it about? He's going to bring a bunch of fucking oh, ethics because we have their inspector general. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's what he's going to do in that role, which seems not great, but interesting in our, uh, yeah, trying to make himself a stronger mayor. And then the ad hoc committee on pensions uh, will have really important work to do, um, especially because of the pension crisis. It still seems to be a thing that we're dealing with in the city. Uh, that's made up. <laughs> the, uh, the state has a committee, uh, a house committee, um, that puts forward recommendations for public pensions. Uh, they're non-binding. Um, and one of the recommendations is that public pensions can't be more than 30 years to full funding. Um, almost no public or private pension on earth is less than 30 years to full funding. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really make any difference as long as you are growing the corpus of the fund by any amount, then you are on track. You are, you are by definition on track to full funding at some point. Um, and so it, it, the, the, the uniform pension, the police and fire pension system, um, is at like 47 years to full funding, something like that. And it, this is just not an issue. Yeah. It's not an issue. Now, what Eric will say is that the, the state legislature could be mad about us not meeting the advisory um, guidelines. So that, this is a 34.5% contribution rate is a target, you're saying, not a hard and fast rule. No, 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 no. Okay. Years to funding. Okay. Years to years full to funding. funding gotcha. is, it, there's a 30-year guideline okay. that the state has published that is, a, frankly, a ridiculous guideline. The only thing that matters in pension health is are you making more money than you're paying out in benefits? That's it. Yeah. It's very simple. Yeah. Um, the police and fire pension system fund, not fund, pension system, um, went through a very, very bad crisis. Um, I, I lost years on the end of my life working, <laughs> working on that. And, and, and really like having nights where I sat up worried that the whole thing was going to crash and that we would bankrupt the city, um, you know, that we would be unable to do the public safety jobs that needed to be done, all kinds of, and, and, you know, those men and women who served Dallas as first responders certainly remember that I cut their fucking benefits. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you how popular that made me, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, I'm proud of the work I did, but it's work that hurt people and there was no, there was no way out of it. Yeah. Just sucked. So it's not, it's not a bad idea to keep an eye on the pensions, but we already kind of are like we reformed the, the, the uniform pension board so that it's fully staffed by people who are real live financial professionals 
who are fiduciaries for corporations mm -hmm. much larger than our pension system yeah. and who have reputations to protect and all that shit. And the employee pension system is managed from within the city, but it has its own board that is made up of uh, some city employees, some pension professionals, mm -hmm. um, and sometimes a council member. And so it, it has great, there's great oversight of those two pensions at this point. Um, what would be the real issue, the real issue is both of those pensions could use more capital. If they had more capital, they could pay better benefits mm -hmm. and they could give retirees um, like cost of living adjustments, mm -hmm. um, which is really fucking important if you think about it. Mm -hmm. the, especially the first responders are able to retire very early because frankly, you don't want a 60 year old firefighter. Yeah. You really don't, yeah. you know? You want those people moving on to their next thing. Yeah. And you, you need to give them the money to do it. And, and if they, so if we put more capital in those pension funds, then they could be, first, they could meet the state's stupid rule. And two, they could like increase benefits to a point that would really help with recruiting and retention around here. Yeah. You know, and I don't, I don't know. Nobody seems to be concentrating on the thing that would actually help. Yeah. And it's because we don't have a big pot of capital, but my, my plan has always been that we should sell the airports and use the proceeds to recapitalize yeah. the pensions. Yeah, these assets that we own, like the Omni or the airports. <laughs> the Om <laughs> I've tried to sell the Omni many times. Um, I don't know what the numbers are today, but when I got it valued back in 2015 or whatever, um, we owed 660 million and it was worth 310. That's not great. That's not a good position to be. To be. <laughs> and, and as of right now, it needs about 80 to 100 million dollars in renovations. Yeah. Uh, just because luxury hotels need to be renovated every 10 years or so. And the last so time I looked at it, luxury. and it's reserves, it had about 27 million. So. You're about to you have it underwater. It was up with the well. No, players. they're just going to have to remodel it, and they're going to have to pay for it out of the city's general fund, which nice. means the the taxpayer-owned hotel who you know Tom Leppard at the time swore swore to the Dallas voters they would never have to pay any tax yeah. money for this hotel. Yeah, the, we're, we, yeah, yeah. We're, the time is coming. Yeah. This pensions committee uh, did include in its policy priority uh, report that they're supposed to be receiving recommendations from the mayor's Dallas Police and Fire Pension System Study Group. You know the MDPFPSSG. I, it, I I have to admit, even even as the city's only local politics podcast, yeah. even. I have not kept up with all of his task forces and study <laughs> It's groups. hard. It's hard. Yes. Who the fuck's on that? Uh, that, I don't know. I mean, the mayor gets to appoint the board of that pension. So why does he need an extra study group separate from the people he gets to appoint? Because uh, it makes him feel important. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh man, I don't know. The man, the pension. Oh, this group has been. I have such PTSD about that. It this was group so has hard. been in existence since 2021. Formation of study group developed recommendations to put the Dallas Police and Fire Pension System on a better path to solvency. Bill Quinn and Rob Walters put together a group of financial and pension professionals outside of City Hall to study potential solutions. Rob Walters is a former board member. 
and one of the smartest lawyers I know. Um, he did a great job on that board. He's done a great job for a number of of institutions over the years. Um, so I'm sure he picked good people, but I seriously don't understand the point of a study group when the mayor just created this new committee gets to appoint all the board members and the board members are required to be financial professionals. And then why do we need to have an ad hoc committee on pensions separate from the study group, separate from the people that are in, which just seems like a lot. Yeah. Well, um, one thing that they do in Congress when you get there as a freshman is they appoint you to fucking everything, mm. and then they assign you to task forces, and they they want you to be going to uh, caucus meetings. And essentially, the it's a it's a pretty transparent strategy by the speaker to make sure that no new members of Congress can form any alliances that might ultimately threaten Nancy Pelosi. Ah, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, of the committees, the one that didn't have a policy priority stated under it, probably because it's stupid, is the Ad Hoc Committee on Professional Sports Recruitment and Retention. Well, it, because the name is raising the questions <laughs> that the name is answering, right? Uh, I'm still waiting for that second NFL team to come yeah. to Dallas. We may be waiting for some time. I, you know, I don't, the, the Cowboys have so thoroughly alienated me from, you know, the team that I grew up loving that, yeah, I mean, if, if Dallas had another team. You'd pick them over the Cowboys? I might. I just don't think Jerry Jones is probably going to let that happen. No, I think probably not. That's, <laughs> well, if Jerry Jones had the second team. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he could devil his earnings potential. He might be in favor of that. Uh, any other uh, news on the committee front? No, that's, I mean, that's, that's essentially it. I, I did, I'm not going to reveal who I talked to, but I did talk to some committee, some council members who did not get committee chair assignments. And I, it, n none of them expressed themselves in a way that was other than totally professional and also not, you know, they don't want to like bitch to me or, or say something that seems, you know, immature. Um, I'm friends with these people, but they, they're doing a, they're doing a professional job. Yeah. Um, but the disappointment was unmistakable. You know, it's a it, 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 committee chair. It's not fun. It's work, you yeah. know, um, but it's work that can really benefit people. And it's it's part of why you're there. It's part of being effective on on council is being able to grow these policy portfolios that then finally see debate at, you know in the full city council and um, you know narrowing the group of people who have important committee assignments. So this is another thing we should mention. Paul Ridley's only chair assignment is the um, judicial nominating the JNC. Um, appointing somebody chair of the JNC is uh, is a, is the Dallas mayor's way of saying "fuck you." <laughs> Not a very it, important role. It's a miserable yeah. job. It's an absolutely miserable job because we've got this the Byzantine process under the charter for appointing municipal judges, and it's super political super duper political and like when we had a judge who had been the chief judge for a long time and you know we felt like 
he wasn't doing that great a job and so we were going to get rid of him he turned out to be black and uh it took three times three rounds of judicial appointments which means six years yeah to actually well no four years one two you know two more years two more years yeah um to actually fire him because the black council members went bananas um and that's and so that's the level of decision making that's going into this yeah uh and so if you think you're getting like um you know the inside scoop to the judiciary no like if you have to go to municipal court and oh, you're yeah. expecting somebody who's like a totally dispassionate non-political uh, uh, person yeah. you might not get that person <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh it's one of my charter review wish list items oh, yes is i'm gonna undo the whole judicial nominating process and streamline it and just make it easier we've had some great people come through as municipal judges who've gone on to bigger benches and whatever else it's not a bad it's not an inherently bad institution yeah. i did try to get rid of it when i was jnc chair but you know um <laughs> it was a it was a budget thing um so i, I don't know I, I i have some real i think i have good ideas about getting rid of it um do you want to move to charter just for yeah. a second charter update yes um ej um does not uniformly appoint bad people. Um, I think we've already praised a couple of them this episode. And an, another really good pick he made for the chair of the Charter Review Commission is former state rep Alan Vaught from East Dallas. Alan lives like a block and a half from me. Um, he, he did a great job in the legislature. He has He's a real good lawyer. Uh, good community activist. His wife's hilarious um, and good, you know, just good, solid family man who knows how to fucking run a meeting, understands politics, understands the personalities. Uh, I think he's going to be great. And uh, what the press release that was put out about his appointment uh, said that he uh, also, as an army captain in Iraq, uh, served as the de facto mayor of Fallujah for several months in 2003. So if you can run Fallujah, Surely, you know, you can help Dallas run it, itself more efficiently. From what I understand, that um, nickname is kind of accurate, yeah. and he's been heavily involved in rescuing uh, translators um, from Iraq. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. good dude, you know? Um, none of that stuff is very relevant to charter review, but he's he's smart, he's got a good mind, He, he and he just understands processes like these. I, I'm pretty excited to work with him. Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. That's the news on the charter front. You want to move to budget next? Sure. We can talk about the fiscal iceberg. <laughs> we listened to that audio before we started recording, and it's just so weird. Yeah, folks, if you haven't gotten the chance to How do that. How the fuck is a potential decline in property tax collections, which, by the way, is not going to happen, is not a real thing, how is that an iceberg? What, yeah. is, what is it about an iceberg, metaphorically, that is the same thing as falling revenue? Uh, when you've got time to be able to fix that, yeah, that I, I cannot answer that. Uh, if folks have not gotten the chance to, they should really go watch 
Um, the mayor uh, happily got the city of Dallas's YouTube account to clip his uh, like five minute speech during the council meeting last week where he held up a toy. If folks haven't seen it, it's great. He held up a toy boat and talked about how the city of Dallas was said toy boat and it was approaching a fiscal iceberg and that we uh, needed to uh, turn the ship around to avoid um, uh, hitting that iceberg and putting on a path towards what he calls more fiscal responsibility. Um, in doing so, he asked council to sort of um, basically lower the tax rate that they were going to set by a pretty significant amount and keeps talking about wanting to make Dallas's property tax rate the lowest in the area, which is impossible. Seems to be impossible. That's that absolutely impossible. Literally getting rid of like everything, probably. I think <laughs> I, I think Highland Park's tax rate is a third of ours, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's it, it's it seems like it would be hard without some severe what's cut, the, uh, cuts. What, what's the succession uh, uh, you're line? You're not serious people. You are not serious people. <laughs> I love you, but you're not serious people. Mm -hmm. um, so wanted to do that. Council rejected that proposal um, and approved a, what did they, they settled with, uh, they call it a cap or a basement that's set at the no new revenue rate. Is that what council ended up doing with their action? No, I don't think that's I don't think that's what the rate does. They cut the rate. Okay. So there is a tax rate cut. Yeah. And um, if your valuation continues to go up, you're not going to see much tax relief. But some people in this town actually are seeing a a flattening of their uh, appraisals or even some declines. So some people will actually get some relief. But the the no new revenue thing, there's a way to set. The rate at the effective rate which basically means that you're getting the same amount of revenue from the year before uh, and I don't think that's what they did you might look that up because if they did then we're in real trouble. So I was looking at this so it looks like what happened was um, Kara had proposed a plan that would set the tax rate at 68.38 cents per $100 valuation um, which would save you know a median homeowner $83 a year um, at the expense of hiring police the which is uh, what would be the result council rejected that and went instead with uh, Baz's proposal to set the ceiling not the rate at 73.93 cents 73.93 is the rate I don't know what what they're well, I don't know why they're saying ceiling yeah um, and I the mayor or the NTC's I guess Proposal set the rate at seventy four five eight. Is that right? That sounds right. Yeah. So when I when I got on council, I think we're our rate was seventy seven some odd seventy seven fifty nine something like that. Um, and the first year I was on council, we didn't cut it. Um, but every other year I was on council, we cut that rate. So the the rate is down, you know, four cents. From where it was ten years. Okay, last ago. year's rate was seventy four point five eight cents. TC's yeah. is seventy three point nine three. Yeah. So Baz, Baz and what, TC were on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what that does is cutting the rate with the increase in the appraisals that we're getting allows a mild bump in the city's budget, which yeah. is perfectly appropriate in a city where population is growing. When you have growing population, it is insanely irresponsible to talk about holding your revenue flat 
So um, I was reading, so Kara and the mayor are the ones who sort of tag teamed this initiative um, with one another. Um, Kara had put out a memo that she sent to the mayor um, listing out her budget concerns and recommendations um, and basically uh, cited sort of right-wing folks from the Texas Public Policy Foundation um, identifying that the tax levy in the city of Dallas has gone from $863 million to $1.3 billion from 2016 to 2020, um, representing an increase of 56.5%. The city's population shrank from 2016 to 2020 in her estimate. Um, no, it didn't. From 1.32 million people to 1.30 billion people. Uh, the, somebody tell the Census Bureau because that is, that is not what the U.S. government thinks. Um, and she sort of laid out this chart where she put together the consumer price index um, as well as uh, compared to the growth in the city's budget. Um, and essentially, um, and there were a couple of lines in here that I found to be really telling of sort of what it is that they're wanting to, to do. One of the quotes that she uh, has in here is asking, uh, basically wants um, department heads to be more efficient with their um, budgeting and says, quote, um, staff increases should be limited and targeted and all departments on, uh, in all departments except public safety should focus on reducing headcount through efficiency, technology, and streamlined procedures and processes. Well, if we are talking about there being this budget uh, iceberg that the city's running into, why are we carving public safety out as something that we should not look at improving efficiency through technology and streamlined procedures and processes? Because they're Republicans? <laughs> <clears throat> Texas Public Policy Foundation, I pay a lot of attention to because in the time before the rise of Wilkes and Dunn, uh, you know, the hardline right-wing billionaires who fund all of the Freedom Party bullshit, super right-wing shit. TPPF used to be the premier think tank for conservative policy in Texas. Now, it, it probably doesn't have the same cachet anymore just because the parties move so far to the right that you, you, you don't really want a think tank anymore because it's just going to come up with ideas that are too smart for the, <laughs> for the fucking voters. So, um, but TPPF... Um, is an entity that I think even people who preceded Kara in representing sort of more conservative North Dallas would not have ever cited at all out of fear of just being criticized as being a TPPF puppet. Um, I mean, TPPF is are the people who are bringing you the 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 uh, school district. Um, tax rate cap uh, that they just put in. I mean, TPPF had big wins this last yeah. session for really batshit right-wing conservative bullshit. And um, the other reason I follow it is because my cousin founded it. Mm. I don't. I don't believe that I'm responsible for the actions of my family, but also I can be a little embarrassed. Kara <laughs> uh, goes on to talk about sort of. Um, the city of Dallas having the lowest median income of all cities in Dallas County. Um, the status quo is... That's not true either. Enormous Where is she coming up with this bullshit? Obstacle. There is no place poorer than Cockrell Hill. Well, that's probably... <laughs> yeah, um, and she says... All springs? Does
Sorry, technical issue. Technical difficulties. So um, Kira goes on to talk about um, sort of effects on the residents. She cites a study that says residents of Dallas had an average property tax bill of $2,800 in 2016, and that has jumped to $4,600 in 2021. Um, $4,000 seems to be a bargain, I would say, in terms of... Uh, you know, the, the thing, if you look at your tax bill, you're, you're never going to be mad about the city's portion. Yeah. Um, because you're going to see the school district's portion and be like, what the fuck? And then you're going to see some county stuff, and you're going to be like, what do I get for that, yeah. for my money there? And you actually are getting good value out of the county, I would argue. Yeah. Um, the school district's a problem, but the school district isn't the source of the problem. The, the source of the problem is that the state isn't paying school districts enough to educate your kids. Yes. So, I, I don't know. These, these people, I don't know what consultant, and maybe there isn't one, because, I mean, EJ, you know, he's... He's very convinced of his opinions, so he may not be giving any advice. But the idea that these two have that they can use this kind of 1990s municipal political argument about the your property tax bill and that that's going to be popular in Dallas, it's they're fooling themselves. Like the, it's just it's it's waste of it's just hot air. That's all it is. So what she had asked in her um, sort of proposals was um, sort of, uh, she listed some recommendations. So she wanted to um, have the city manager submit a revised budget to uh, have a no new revenue rate plus $5 million. I noted that he did not do that. Correct. I predicted he would not do that. <laughs> uh, she called for them to reduce all ghost full-time employees from the budget. Um, saying ghost full-time employees are full-time equivalent positions that have been open more than nine months or have little chance of being filled this fiscal year. But th the thing is, those don't cost any money. If we're not paying them anything. Right. Like it, I ran into this issue back when I was on council because A.C. Gonzalez, the guy before T.C. Broadnax, had... Um, he had he had so many ghost employees that he was he was then using it through mid-year budget amendments as a slush fund. Yeah. But that shit doesn't happen anymore. Like we adopted new rules and that shit doesn't happen. We used to got to do during our budgeting processes, you had a maximum levy. So we always knew mm -hmm. we were not gonna get any more than this certain amount of money from the state, uh, but we had to put all kinds of BS things within departmental budget lines to get to that amount of stuff that we knew was never going to happen. But if we didn't ask for that money, we weren't going to get it. Right. Um, so the example she uses is that she said DPD's budgeted to hire 290 officers in fiscal year 22-23. Which is impossible. Budgeted to hire 250 of them in 21-22. Also impossible. Uh, but only hired 185 of them. Because that's about as many as you can hire in a year. And so she's basically saying that um, you should uh, reduce that number uh, to be one that um, is going to be more realistic to what they can hire in a year and then say that council will fund additional recruit classes using contingency reserve funds. Uh, that's against the contingency reserve policy <laughs> that the Government Performance and Financial Management Committee sent to council, I don't know, eight years ago. They, they may have updated it since then. Yeah. 
and was adopted by council. So uh, all of these things are things that either are made up, like her census numbers are made up, <laughs> you know? There's no citation. <clears throat> or she just doesn't actually understand how city finances work. And, and listen, I'm not saying it's simple. Like the city manages hundreds of individual funds um, and they all have different rules. Um, because you need that in order to have a, a well-managed and auditable system. You know, you've got to have controls. And it's not just, this stuff isn't just all different pockets of money that you can draw from however you want to and whenever you feel like it. That you've got to follow the rules. And contingency reserve is simply cannot be used to hire employees. That's not what it's for. <laughs> Um, so the other things she calls for, uh, one is fully funding the police, the fire and IT services as proposed by the manager. Um, basically having each department other than those three um, have no increases from the current fiscal year. Um, reduce the budget of any department that's grown more than 50% in the last five years by 5%. wonder what that would be, what, that, what she's after. Well, IT would be in that. Well, so not them, <laughs> but other. See, that's other the thing. She, she doesn't know, does yeah. she? Um, or she would have listed them, right? They list in here one that says remove city funding for programs that are the domain of the county, state, or federal government or transit agency. So this is her saying that you know the city is funding a senior transportation program through DART, um, but that DART's job is to deliver local Fuck transportation services. Um, so DART should just do their job. Fuck you, seniors. Which, again, Let me tell you what happens when you say to the state, hey, state, you should do your job. Uh, <laughs> nothing fucking happens, you know? And so, for instance, uh, all of that homelessness that you see in the city of Dallas, um, all of that under Texas state law is the responsibility of the legislature to fund and of the governor's office to execute and they don't fucking do it and there's no way for a city to make them so what do you want do you want uh no approach to homelessness no attempt to reduce the number of people experiencing homelessness or do you want to rigidly adhere to some rules that are going to result in ruining the fucking city yeah <laughs> Seems to not be a great, that's not a great alternative. It's just, they're not serious people. They're not thinking through how this stuff actually works or why it's the way it is. Because um, they want to live in this fantasy where you can just talk about budgets and taxes. And cut them. And when you, when you say taxes to people, they automatically support you because you're cutting their taxes and they're going to support you. That's not the way municipal politics has worked in the last, it's been since the late 90s yeah. that that shit worked. Yeah, and people generally want a park. And they want water parks. And nice things to they be They want the to, fucking roads fixed. Yes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, so I had to, I had two very lovely Uber rides over to Park Place Motor Cars. And let me tell you, Lemon Avenue sucks. <laughs> uh, her other recommendations, one of them, she calls for them reevaluating the sales tax revenue estimates. Uh, because she basically says that uh, they're too conservative on the amount of money we're going to generate from sales tax revenue in the next well, they have been. year. They have been. I'd say that that's true. And in fact, even though I absolutely love the city's former uh, uh, CFO, she fucked up big time at the beginning of COVID 
And she and TC developed a program of furloughing employees or actually just canning them uh, to save money because she predicted that there was going to be, there were going to be catastrophic shortfalls in both property tax revenue and sales tax revenue. And in fact, both of those things went up by almost record amounts. Lots and lots and lots of money. So there have been fuck-ups to Kara's to Kara's uh, point, they, I don't think we've done a great job of predicting, but in general, what the CFO is trying to do is not let anybody get out over their skis. Mm-hmm. And so they're always going to be a little More bit conservative, which is what you would want them to do. Um, she is asking department leaders to realign, rethink, and rework their budgets to focus on resident responsiveness and efficiency goals. Apparently, each department manager was required to submit a budget scenario with an 8% budget decrease which seems like a strange exercise to me to have them do. There's so many strange budget exercises that I've seen over the years at the city of Dallas. Uh, there are lots of department managers who can tell you ex- excruciating stories of how their time has been wasted. And these are always my favorite ones too. So her third recommendation is to spend $5 million to initiate an outside professional efficiency audit of eight departments, providing recommendations for future efficiency to the city manager and the council. So we're in a, we're approaching an iceberg that we need to turn the ship around. But we want yeah, to spend us to hire some $5 people. million dollars to tell us how to turn the ship around. So, so you, you, you've heard this. This this probably is, is a lingo that is in every city. Yeah. That she wants to hire some people that count potholes instead of fill potholes. Yeah, well for sure. That was the, I one of my uh, angriest I got on council was when uh, we were talking about uh, how we had a, a salary problem. We were underpaying uh, employees and we were losing them to other um, entities. And uh, we needed to increase their wages, right? And the, what the mayor wanted us to do was to hire an agency to do a salary study to determine how much we should be paying workers and spend $2 million on you know the commission of this study. And I'm like, I don't need to study the fact that we're underpaying people. I know, we know that. I would rather take that two million dollars and give it to all of the city employees. Yeah, we, <clears throat> we've, we've done salary studies at the city of Dallas before and they're always hilarious to me. They always wind up saying the same fucking thing. Yeah, you should probably be paying your people more money. Yeah, and uh, oh, okay, thanks. Here's, here's the thing, city of Dallas has 12,000 employees, um, 12, five probably something like that. And uh, so it sounds like a big entity where you might do a salary study to kind of figure things out, but it's so pointless because the peop- the managers of those people know exactly how much more they need to pay to keep their people. Yeah. And they can just turn that information into the manager. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if the city had unlimited funds to be able to do that, we probably would. Right, I mean, that's the other part of the study that I just think is, <laughs> you know, if you had the ability to do that, we would just pay people more money. I did finally get someone to, to send to me the pages in TC's, broad, or TC's proposed budget where they talk about this sort of fiscal cliff or financial cliff. Um, and it's within the budget where they talk about the five-year um, forecast and basically, 
goes through sort of the pension contribution piece that we've already talked about, growth and other expenses, et cetera, and is really talking about um, a days of reserve and ending fund balance within the general fund. So there is a criterion which states the unassigned fund balance of the general fund shall be maintained within a range of not less than 50 days, not more than 70 days of general fund operating expenditures, less debt service. The establishment and maintenance of a financial reserve policy is critical to prudent financial management. Direction reflects unassigned fund balance at 50 plus days of general fund operating expenditures. Um, and basically is saying that, uh, and this is what Kara was banking on, was these two sentences here. The general fund forecast, the general fund is forecast to be out of structural balance in FY2526, uh, which is defined as ongoing expenses exceeding ongoing revenues as shown in the table below. Although that is forecast, the city will not allow that to occur. We will secure a structural balance through budget reductions, revenue increases, and other corrective actions. So then you look at the five-year budget increase, and basically it's saying that um, we would go from uh, general fund. So wait, wait, 2526 is the year they say it gets out of balance? Uh, below the 50-day threshold uh, of days of reserve. So, okay, so 2526, the fiscal year starts October 1. Um, the <clears throat> I will just state this, and people can make fun of me if I'm wrong. If you want to bet me, you can bet me. There will be no structural imbalance in fiscal year 2526. Yeah. October 1, 25 to September 30, 2026, there will be no need to adjust the city's finances to maintain sufficient reserve funds. Cash reserves. Take it to the bank. Yeah, that's Philip's guarantee. <laughs> you know, so uh, it I just don't even know what they're looking at. Like, there's no one is predicting that property taxes are going to go down. Correct. Or and this is not. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody is predicting that sales taxes are going to go down. Correct. The thing that is coming out of the budget is all the federal COVID response money, but all that stuff was supposed to be used on one-time stuff. And we haven't spent you know? it anyway. And we haven't spent all of it anyway, but you're not supposed to use that shit on stuff that was recurring maintenance and, and So I tried operations. to look at the their figures to sort of determine Stop what eating the, the cat food dog, Jesus Christ. The increases are um, and the biggest ones seem to be in um, sort of biggest percentage wise at least are increases in uniform pay and overtime on a year to year basis. You got to do that though. That's that thing is not that flexible because yeah. you have these three year agreements and also, you know, you just you don't want to be the employer that's not paying first responders. Now I'm always curious to know within like what percentage of that is overtime, right? I would be curious. The to overtime know. they really need to get under control, um, and if there's really a need for that much overtime, what you're really saying is you need to raise salaries. Yeah. Like they should cut that overtime in half and distribute it. Yeah, and it would probably help with them hire more officers, uh, too. Um, so this the structural uh, imbalance is the thing that they they keep pointing to as evidence that we're approaching this fiscal iceberg. Um, iceberg? What the fuck is that? TC didn't call it an iceberg. Nope. Doesn't just the mayor, and he said it came from. What does it mean? He was watching the Titanic with his son, 
And his son asked him, Daddy, why didn't the captain just turn the boat around? This isn't helping. <laughs> You're not helping my understanding of the metaphor. So uh, we at least understand, I guess, where the numbers they are looking at come from. Um, it doesn't seem to be like an iceberg. It seems to be much ado about nothing and really just an increase or an excuse, I should say, for cutting city services. Why do we want to do that? But why people want to do that, I never, uh, I don't know. I don't. And none of those things, you know, what, I mean, in, in Kara's memo, you know, the thing that, it's easy to say we should, you know, I, I guess it is relatively easy to say, well, we should, you know, have the department heads figure out how to spend less money, right? But unless you're coming up with like concrete proposals, that doesn't really do anything, right? Because these things often would involve, you know, those decisions, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to have fewer lifeguards at city-owned pools? You know, are we going to trim the hours that the library is open? Well, we, right? we, we I fucking mean, did that. And, I mean, like we did, we, back during the Great Recession, you yeah. should have seen what they did. Yeah. It was awful. And so, you know, and think about those kind of, it's like, well, I don't think people actually want to do that. So it's easy to say sort of in this thought exercise of like, well, we should find ways to cut, but what, what, what are they? What, what specifically do you want us to stop doing? in the city of Dallas. I would invite the mayor or Kara to let us know what she thinks we should stop doing that we're currently doing. I'm really trying to think of something, and believe me. I mean, we've come up the horses, <clears throat> police horses that trample protesters. Uh, we can get rid of them. Vice and mounted uh, serve no public safety purpose, and they cost combined something like 55 or 60 million bucks. Um, that that's a good cut. That'd yeah. be a good cut to make, and that's a significant cut. That's like that's some, yeah. you're talking about some real money. Um, I just I don't know, man. I I was a I considered myself a very serious budget hawk. I definitely know that there were years where I was one of two people who actually read the budget. Yeah. Um, and I you know I made a previous city manager turn over. The departmental bidding documents which they had never turned over to council before which they should have everybody needs to see that and see what these managers are being put through mm -hmm. and who gets their requests and who doesn't get their requests because sometimes i'm not saying tc does this a lot but in in years past that's been a personality thing you know it hadn't been a, a, a calm fiscal decision by a professional so, yeah, I don't know. I, I really tried to cut the budget. And this is the funny thing. The way we've got our budget process structured, it never gets cut. Whatever TC produces in early August is the budget. Yeah. There's a lot of hot air. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of getting mad. And council never succeeds in actually changing the fucking thing. Yeah. Well, because, again, it's a thought exercise that... It's too hard when you ask people to actually figure out where do you what do you want to get rid of, right? Um, you know, I guess if you watched the Republican debate last week, you heard them talk about cutting pensions, right? Medicare, cutting Medicare, cutting Social Security. Nikki Haley seems to think that um, we should definitely be raising the retirement age for Medicare, right? 
Uh-huh. Even though it, I think her proposal would raise it beyond the uh, average life expectancy of a black man, mm. which accomplishes maybe another goal of the uh, Republican Party. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they took cutting pensions, cutting Medicare, cutting Social Security, getting rid of food stamps. Um, you know, that's what uh, they are in favor of. So, again, if you have a list of recommendations of city services you'd like them to stop, please uh, submit them to, to Loserville. Loserville will consider all, uh, well, really all suggestions for cutting the budget. We may laugh at them, but we will consider We'll entertain them. A couple interesting things did happen today, too, or at least one interesting thing. There was a judge in Austin. Um, that at least temporarily has halted um, the Death Star bill, uh, House Bill 2127, that was supposed to take effect on Friday. Of course, the state will appeal uh, the ruling from that judge in Austin, but at least for now, that is on hold. Um, there was, uh, for folks that follow us on Twitter, the judge have... found it unconstitutional, which I really need to read the opinion because I'm really trying to figure out which how it, it is unconstitutional but I, my prediction for how that's going to go is that it will go to the third circuit which is the austin court of appeals um third court of appeals not third circuit third court of appeals uh where it will be upheld and then it will go to the supreme court where it will be reversed um and not remanded for further proceedings but reversed and shut the fuck up trial judge yeah yeah uh, but at least a nice, uh, I don't know, temporary win for the day. I, it's, it's amazing how much Dallas contributed to this super duper, maybe the most important question of municipal home rule authority in our lifetimes. And it appears that Dallas managed to do absolute zero. And we talked about this some on Twitter, uh, that the city just did not join in any way Houston's did nothing. lawsuit against the did state? absolutely nothing. And <clears throat> to what they attribute that, we have no idea. We don't know. We, we have no idea. Council, I couldn't list. I love the members of council. I try to be constructive in my criticism. Um, but I've been blowing them up since the thing passed. And I have gotten back the most demoralizing series of we're working on it emails and texts when they clearly weren't fucking working on it. Yeah. This is municipal malpractice. It is, it, it is, I, I, I don't know how to be, I really don't know how to be strongly worded enough about this, that the, the people in Dallas need to understand that their leaders looked at this thing that could literally wreck the government of Dallas and just fucking did nothing. Decided to, to take it. Uh, Houston started the lawsuit. San Antonio and El Paso joined it. Notably, Dallas and Austin did not. Um, do with that what you I don't uh, get it. Do with that what you I want. don't get it. And the right, the right approach here was not a single suit in Austin. The right approach was in every city sue in its home county. Every city sue in its home county. The attorney general's office is uniquely decimated right now from the terror uh, reign of Ken Paxton. All of his good litigators have left. He's left mostly with just clowns. And they are already short-staffed. Yeah, and they would they would not have been able to respond to these suits at all. They they would have gotten their asses kicked in trial courts across the state, 
And this is what cities should have done. Yeah. And I would be, um, I would be restraining myself a little bit more in this criticism if I hadn't fucking told them so. Yeah. Well, and the thing that you know is even I guess more uh, surprising concerning whatever you know you can talk about the the politics and Republican Democrat or whatever. Frankly, every city, right? Not just the big blue cities, but you know even Republican run cities should be in favor of having control over what goes on in their city to a certain extent, right? Like that, I think, thought at least used to be a Republican idea, right? Weren't they supposed to be the people that were believers in the power of local control, right? Uh, um, Lee Jackson, who's a former uh, Dallas County judge, he had been in the legislature before he became Dallas County judge, and he once told me that their theory when he was in the Republican majority Actually, he served in the Republican minority in the House at one point. But their theory was that they didn't want to regulate cities because they didn't want to pay for it. And that yeah. used to be yeah. a thing Thanks. in the yeah. Republican Party, that if you were going to issue a mandate, yeah, if you were going to be a funded, you mandate. had to fund it. Yeah. Right. And that was that. And honestly, that's a Newt Gingrich deal. That's like that's something that used to be a real intellectual kind of principle of the Republican Party. And I'm not saying they stuck to it or they had they were <laughs> or they were super consistent, but it sucks that that apparently has gone away now. Um, the other uh, two things I wanted to touch on: there's a really good uh, interview that uh, Bethany Erickson from D Magazine did with Jasmine Crockett that uh, she published today. I saw it, but um, I haven't been able to read it. Really yet. good interview, uh, but a couple of the interesting things that uh, uh, Congresswoman Crockett you know pointed out, or at least that was interesting. She talked about one sort of the differences in the dynamics between what uh, she experienced in the legislature and versus what she experiences in uh, Congress. Um, and, you know, one has saying that, you know, some of what she did in the legislature helped her to understand that there are uh, performative Republicans, right, versus the crazies, right, and understanding the difference between um, who is somebody that we can work with versus who's somebody that actually is a true believer in wild things, right? She also talks about being a freshman in the state house and saying that they were told to be seen and not heard. Um, and yeah, she took that to heart. Took huh? that to heart. <laughs> um, definitely that. You know, she said her natural reaction uh, was so visceral. She just it just wasn't a thing for her. Um, but she said even though a lot of people on the other side may disagree with me, they respect the fact that when I spoke up, it was real. It wasn't performative. Um, but she said in the house, uh, they definitely have. They're more open to people just. Talking. She's gotten a lot of really good social media play over some of the debates that she has had in committee hearings, particularly with uh, Sid Warren Bogart. It's, you know, it's back to the discussion we had with uh, John Bryant. It's how you behave in the minority. Yeah. It's, it, that is how you use that office to its maximum effect. And the people who think that, the, that um Everything is a, an Aaron Sorkin drama, that the West Wing is real. The people who think that politics is behind the scenes, those people are fucking morons. And if they get in office, they're just going to like waste the power. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so she talks about sort of the things that she is working on uh, with regard to District 30 um, and saying that a lot of it is uh, about economics. You know, she says that. Um, her district has the highest level of incarceration in the state of Texas. Uh, poverty level is at 20%. Um, there's a high number of unhoused people. There's food deserts. There's healthcare deserts. 
Um, they're dealing with all those things in District 30 and, and set as sort of her marker for whether or not she's successful is figuring out how can we reduce all of those um, all of those things. It was a really interesting article. Folks should uh, take the chance to read it just to hear uh, sort of uh, Jasmine's perspective on how um, the first uh, year or so of her time in Congress has, has gone. I swapped texts with her today. She was one of the people that I am approaching about writing a letter for my NLRB case. Uh, I think she will probably sign on. We already have Rashida Tlaib. Okay, yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the brave ones always go first. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, the, uh, uh, anyway, the, the reason I bring it up is I think that we will uh, be having a member of Congress Crockett on Loserville at some point in the not-too-distant future. We've, we've tried before and we've had scheduling conflicts, but she's very willing to do to do it and you got to wonder why like <laughs> yeah. it's it's a we we love visiting loserville but you know it's 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 the local politics podcast yeah we're gonna have to we're gonna have to go national level when, when we have jasmine on. and people want us to have a national show that's what the, the folks are murmuring for other good article i saw was about um, efforts to fight homelessness in houston again we know this is dallas politics but i thought an interesting one that um, Houston uh, sort of created uh, a system where the city of Houston, Harris County, one of the neighboring counties, some other entities uh, kind of paired together all of the different NGOs and public organizations that go towards fighting homelessness and actually have had success in reducing its homeless population by 64% over the last 12 years, including a 17% reduction in the last year alone. Uh, so Houstonites um, went from um, 8,500 people that were homeless on the streets in Houston. Houstonians. Yeah, Houstonians, sorry, Houstonians. 8,500 homeless um, before, now the homeless population is about 3,200 people uh, within the city of, of Houston. Um, so talk well, about sort of how they have. Okay, I, I think Houston is doing good work in yeah. this regard. And we know it's all <clears throat> undercounted too, right, so. Yeah, but I was just gonna make that point. Those numbers are bullshit, yeah. but, but is the trend going the way they're saying it's going? Almost certainly. Yeah. And I did see that, and the center, the centerpiece of their approach is kind of the housing first model. Yep. Um, but it's still, it's all dressed up with this other shit that I, you can, I can tell just because I've dealt with coalitions of of entities that touch homelessness over the years that you have to throw in a bunch of other shit to keep the whatever nonprofit is in the coalition happy. Yeah. You know. You have to pretend that this shelter is actually doing good work, yep. you know, and it, it, it's just annoying. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're not going to fund this approach fully out of public dollars, and they don't fund it from the general fund at all, I don't yeah. know if you saw that in the article. Houston then you is got, not funded. You, then the you have to you have to cater to people's feelings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, a really interesting article about some of the stuff that they've done there in Houston, um, and including concerns over what may happen with the change in may mayors in Houston. Um, well, you know, I think um, I think Houston's going to vote progressive again. But even if they elect, what is it, John Whitmire? Yep, it would probably be the more moderate choice. <clears throat> I don't, I don't see him as a bad leader. Um, quite the opposite, you know. Yeah. Well, it'll either it will either likely be uh, John Whitmire or Sheila Jackson Lee. I think if you get Sheila Jackson Lee, you get 
a much more progressive mayor's office than Sylvester's has proven to be. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think that progressive groups had very high expectations for Sylvester Turner that he wholly failed to meet. Mm-hmm. But in all, in all, we talked about it in the last episode, he has been a fairly good mayor, right? Yeah. For the most part. I would say, um, you know, good, competent leader, um, not as progressive as he maybe promised people when he was running the first time. Uh, Whitmire has earned the backing of the Republicans in Houston. <laughs> that uh, should tell you something. <laughs> including uh, Mattress Max. Oh my God, what a piece of trash that guy uh, And a lot of the folks that were big donors uh, behind the campaign to unseat Lenny Hidalgo last year in the Harris County uh, judge race. How did that go? Uh, they lost. Uh-huh. They lost. Stay away from my girl, Lena. <laughs> I've actually never met Lena Hidalgo. I've done some consulting work for her office on transportation just because I'm one of the few people who's ever killed a highway. Yeah. And I didn't do it myself. I'm not making that claim. I'm just, I was very involved in killing a highway. Yeah. And so they called me about the plan to widen I-45. Yeah. Yeah. Which anybody who's driven on I-45 in Houston, you have to bend your brain to think about how it could be wider. Correct. <laughs> we, that's very very true um, that was all I had this week Philip anything uh, we missed I think we've given the people good value good for, Labor Day for, content for, Labor for Day weekend hard earned money that they don't send to us <laughs> I, uh, I've done a lot of uh, I, I've had to learn a lot about um, podcast revenue and how to monetize podcasts in the last are month we, are we doing it wrong Oh, we are we aren't even trying, you know. And I have from time to time thought about, you know, are there natural advertisers for Loserill? And the answer is no, there, there aren't. Any. <laughs> the chances are pretty high that you or I would say something that would so offend uh, the advertisers that we would lose them pretty quickly. Well, yeah. Also, they could look at our audience and go like, okay, this is. There are people, there are, okay, there are hundreds of you who listen to every episode. And we appreciate you very much. And we really love it. We love being listened to. And I got stopped in the grocery store today by a listener. I'm always amazed that, that y'all are out there. And I really love hearing from you. But really, you're a weird group of people. <laughs> uh, but we appreciate you. And thanks for listening. And enjoy your uh, holiday weekend. See ya. I wish every day the sun would shine Take me to another place in my life everything is beautiful And no wants to need No sign of me to rule our soul If we could fly away